Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. So, Brandon and I were talking this week about how if, uh, if you say yes to teaching on a Sunday at Rev, uh, just prepare yourself for whatever trial may come, uh, because as you can tell, everyone who has preached here in the last little bit uh, is either sick or has a back that's been thrown out or something. It's wonderful. So, if Brent ever asks you to teach, uh, we both joked that we would just start asking our enemies to do it, and then that way they can have the trials and we can just all be healthy and it'd be fun. Um, that's sarcasm. Uh, welcome. So, uh, but uh, but the truth is is that uh, is that I'm actually really excited uh, to be here, and I am really grateful. If you guys would like to follow along in Scripture, and I would challenge you to do so, uh, you can put your hand up if you don't have a Bible, and the ushers will come and give you one. Um, you can use your phone. Um, we're all the house Bibles, and then mine is is an ESV. Um, so, I mean, you may be a little lost if you're using something else, but no big deal. We'll figure it out together, I'm sure. Um, before we uh, dive into explanation, I want to read the passage itself. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians still, so no surprise if you've been here for a couple weeks. This is where we're at. And so we're still in the first chapter. We're starting in verse 18. Um, I'll give you a chance to flip there for a second. But uh, this is uh, particularly a section that kicks off a larger section. So we'll, uh, we'll kind of start to see a theme develop that the Apostle Paul is bringing out to us, which is pretty great. Uh, Pretty interesting, to be honest with you. Uh, So it starts here in verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Lord, your word is true. And we ask today that you would illuminate to our minds and our hearts, and that we would be able to know with greater clarity what it is that you're seeking to express through the Apostle Paul here. We love you. We thank you for a chance to be here. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Um, one thing I've noticed, and, and if you've been around the church for a while, you've kind of probably noticed it too, is that it's difficult to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Oftentimes, you get little factions and things that get created. And if you've been in church for a while, there's all kinds of them, right? There's this group of people who says, no, 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 the most important thing about the church is that we sing with passion, right? 
Or, no, 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 the most important thing about the church is that we make sure that we make it as modern and relevant so everyone can feel welcome. And something that the Apostle Paul is drawing all of us back into is this idea. The main thing about the church is the cross of Christ. That is what unifies us. It isn't because we all chose to go to a church where you don't have to wear a suit and tie. Though you may have chosen that, that is not what unifies you. Some of you may have worn a suit and a tie. I apologize. I can't actually see if you are. You're not weird, just so you know. But I do want to clarify that these things can happen so easily. They can become another main thing, right? It's like Jesus plus. It's like, yeah, 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 we're all about Jesus and and we're not like one of those churches who doesn't serve the community. Now, I understand that there are distinctions, and I want to be clear here. What I'm talking about is keeping the main thing the main thing. And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here with a group of people who were divided. Who were divided because they saw the way their culture was, and they brought it into the church. This is a divided culture. Okay, in Corinth, and in this time, in this part of the world, you would have these traveling philosophers. Now, I think for us, they were kind of a cross between politicians and comedians. Some of you were like, I would totally watch that TV show. And then some of you were like, please get me as far away from that as I possibly can get. But this is what they were like. There's no TV shows. There's no entertainment, right? in the sense that we have it. So oftentimes what these folks would do is they would travel in their own city. They would have philosophers, excuse me, they would have philosophers that traveled and these people in their own city would then go to these people and listen. And so what happened was is you had as many philosophies and ethics on life as you had people and philosophers, okay? And there's debates all the time, debates, debates constantly about this ethic, that ethic. What do we believe about this? What do we believe about this? And really, it was all in the name of their God, wisdom. What is wise? What is wise? I want to be wise. Now, when you think about wisdom, you and I typically have a different connotation than they would. And what I mean by that is that we look at wisdom and we go, wisdom's good. It's a good thing. But most of us in this room would recognize that there's a time that the proverbial wisdom of life just doesn't work. Right? You can do all the right things and get the wrong outcome. That's life. So many of us live in that, that's life. These people believe that if you could find the right mode, that right wisdom, that perfect balance that you could find yourself in this place where all the world's problems were solved. And so you get this group of people in Corinth who hear Paul, okay, we see this in in Acts 18, who hear Paul, okay, Paul goes to the synagogues first, the Jews reject him, he goes, fine, I'll go to the Gentiles, he goes to the Gentiles, and he lives there for a while and preaches, and people come to know Jesus out of this culture. And so Paul then, in writing this letter to them, is speaking directly directly to their cultural bent. Now, I'm not going to try to fit ancient Corinth into modern day America or whatever. But there are some similarities. All of us come in with a cultural bent. 
You did not come into the church without opinions. <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> right? And many of us didn't just put all of our opinions on the altar and say, oh, no, everything I ever thought is gone. Most of us came in and we said, okay, everything's changed. But you still believed a lot of the things you learned as you were culturally growing up or you developing your own opinions for yourself. Now, what does it look like for us to keep the main thing the main thing? How do we keep unity? Because that's the same battle that they're having in Corinth. So we see this in the previous section in 10 through 17 and how Paul is talking about how these people, for some reason, were trying to fit like Paul and Apollos and even Jesus and talking about them as if they were their teacher of wisdom, right? And so all of a sudden, they're trying to exalt these people who are all they're doing is preaching the gospel, and they're trying to exalt them to these places of teacher and high intellectual in their culture. And Paul goes, no, I am not a high intellectual. I am not going to be bound into your cultural way of understanding. You will not exalt me. Because I preach Christ. Christ is to be exalted. And so then we get in verse 17 as I read it. This is kind of the context of this passage in verse eight, starting in verse 18. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Now, that's important because in the section before he talks about how he wasn't the one who baptized people, right? And then he goes, oh, maybe I baptized this guy, whatever. But the point of the matter was that Paul was saying, I'm not the guy. Stop looking to me for salvation. It's Christ. Why? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, that, and literally when it says eloquent wisdom in the ESV, it's actually with wisdom words. Okay? Now what you got to understand is not only in Corinth did these philosophers entertain. Some of them wanted to genuinely answer problems. But most of them just wanted approval. And so they were eloquent. Rhetoric was huge in this culture. In fact, to the Roman world, the Greeks were the champions of how to speak. Be persuasive. Use that persuasion to bring people to yourself, to gain influence and power. And so young Romans were taught things like rhetorics by Greek teachers. The Greeks, even in this era, as Rome is dominating the world, the Greeks were the teachers of the Roman Empire. And so you see this thing, this rhetoric, right? Rhetoric, what is it? It's this way of speaking that hopefully brings people to a point that they are convinced. And the culture believed that you can move somebody from one belief to another if you are eloquent enough. If you are skilled enough to be able to prove this point, this point, and this point, and you get them right there, and you've said it so well, and you've entertained them, and they're weeping and laughing at the same time, and everybody's all this craziness, and then you bring your point home, and they believe you, and now you have a follower. That's what these philosophers were doing. That's what these people in Corinth wanted Paul to be. The Apostle Paul was known as somebody who was strong in letter and weak in person. I don't think he was all that eloquent. He was smart. But I don't know about you, but 
most, a lot of smart people can have trouble explaining to you in a cohesive way what it is that they know. It doesn't mean that all are. It just means that intelligence does not mean that you're somebody who is easy to listen to. And so we get this section about the cross. Now, why is the cross important? And why is this word power contrasted to the idea of wisdom? Because the people in this era are thinking there is power in the way you say it. That the power of a message comes in how you speak it. That the impact of something has to do more with its presentation than the thing itself. But the cross is completely flipped. In fact, the cross's power is so independent from the persuasiveness of man that man, if they try so hard to speak it so eloquently, will flub it up and make it confusing and it loses power. Think about it. And we know this, okay? There are people who present the cross of Christ in a watered-down half-truth. There are people who talk about the cross, and they don't talk about why it's even there. Why do we have the cross? Well, it's because man is entirely sinful to the core. How can you talk about Jesus paying the penalty for sin and how people need the cross if you don't talk about the true brutality and necessity for it? No, the cross is powerful because we didn't have the ability to save ourselves no matter how much wisdom we think we had. The cross is powerful because there was nothing, even in our collective, even if all of us got together and put our minds to something and came up with this brilliant plan, we never would have come up with the cross. And we, even if we could have come up with it, we wouldn't have accomplished it. So where is power? Power is in the simplicity of this. Power is in the fact that no matter how loud, no matter how many words someone uses, the simplicity of the cross is still a powerful necessity. You need Jesus. You need a Savior because you are lost. And no amount of arguing, no amount of philosophizing or political rhetoric will change that. In fact, as we see later in this passage, it doesn't even change that if I can convince you somehow through eloquent speech, which clearly I am not today. But I want to show a picture. This is a, an article of graffiti from ancient Rome. Okay, this is about 200 AD. And the title of this is the Aleximenos Graffito. Don't look it up on Google, we learned earlier. Um, but what you can see, hopefully, is on the left is the actual engraving. This is somebody who... Ancient graffiti was carved and not painted, right? So there you go. Uh, this is just somebody who's mocking someone else. And literally uh, the underneath, the writing underneath this picture you see on the right is Aleximenos worships his God. 
Okay, and if you can tell, that's a cross, right? So then that's a cross, and there on the cross is some figure, clearly beaten, right, with the dark spots you can see, and then also the head of a donkey. Over to the left, you see a person, right, who has their hand up. This is to symbolize worship. This is a picture of someone mocking Christian worship. Now, why do I show this to you? Because this isn't a piece of high art, okay? This is not commissioned by Caesar to go and put some eloquent piece of anti-Christian rhetoric on the wall. This is probably, I mean, who puts graffiti on walls now? People who have a cultural statement who think that they're not heard necessarily, but that's, this is what they're going to do. Think about it. If you could picture maybe a young person, right, carving this on the wall to mock another young person. Now, what does that mean? That means that culturally, culturally, okay, we're not just talking about in the high intellectual circles. We already know that Jesus is mocked in those circles. We already know that people undermine Christ in the high scholarship in some places. But this is the regular people. Clearly, this kid is not a scholar. This is a picture of what is really in the hearts of mankind, including you and I, before we know Jesus. This is a better picture of how we really feel about the cross before Jesus than anything high art could give us, really. And that's because it's just, it's not done with this idea that, oh my goodness, this is to be persuasive. No, he's just mocking another person. And that is what we are before Jesus. Mockers. Now some of us think, you can take it down, thank you. Some of us think that before Jesus, before we knew who Jesus was, some of us think that we were just kind of neutral to him. Some of us think that we saw Jesus and we thought, oh, he's okay for some. Not for me. No. No, if you got to the core of where your heart was toward Jesus, you were a mocker and you saw it as dumb. If that sounds familiar, that's because that's where many people within our culture are nowadays. They may be respectful to your face, but the culture will look at you and they will think you're dumb for what you believe. Why do I say that? What difference does that make? Because if you try to make what you believe prettier than it really is, you're going to confuse it. You're going to make it confusing. Which sounds weird. How do you make something confusing that others see foolish? Look, if you tell the truth of the cross, that we need a savior, that Christ was brutalized for us, that that was God up there, and that we should have been there. If you tell the truth of the cross and its clarity, people will look at you and say you're dumb. If you water it down, they may listen better, but that doesn't mean that they see it as power. No, we unify as a church. Not around this idea that we are the persuasive power in the culture. That we are put here to convince people. No, it never says that. Even though there are places in the scripture 
where people beg others to be saved. They don't beg because they think that the begging itself works. They beg because they're so desperate for that person to know Jesus. And they want so badly for them to because there's power here and you've seen power here. And the truth of the matter is, is that people were simple. Where we find answers is where we'll tell others to go for answers. That's pretty simple. We're not real complex. But complexity is not what we need. Debate is not what we need. We need a savior because we're broken. And that is the simple main thing of the message in Corinth. So let's read on. Verse 19 and 20. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is God speaking from Isaiah. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Think about it this way. If wisdom and the idea of debating high scholarship and finding out what's really true by doing that and understanding it only in the sense that I'm going to look at all of the things that I think make sense. And although it's not bad to intellectually appeal to God and, 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 and seek him that way, I'm not saying that's evil. What I'm saying is you will never find your way to God simply by debate and argument. That is not how God is found. God is not found because it all of a sudden ties together perfectly because someone wrote the perfect book finally because the Bible was incomplete. That's not how you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus because you see power in the cross. All of a sudden you had a need. God met it. That's it. You come to Jesus because you need him. You don't come to Jesus because all of a sudden he makes sense. Although, that is exactly what happens. Because what happens is that one time you saw this as foolishness. One time you saw this, at, at one point you recognized, this is foolish, this cross idea, this is really weird. Why would God come to earth and be a baby? That's weird. Why would God do this stuff? Why would God die like a common criminal? That's weird. And then you realize, oh, wait a sec, but it makes sense for me. Look at verse 21. For since, okay, this is since, this is for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Okay, the world didn't come to know God because of some intellectual who finally wrote the book. How did the world come to know God? How was the world reconciled to God again? Because the cross made it possible. Because Jesus came to earth, that's why we can know God. We don't know God because somebody explained it so well that it just made sense in our minds and it was like, oh, Right. No, no. We know it because Jesus came. We know it because there's power in the gospel because it met a need that we could not meet with thinking. Continuing in verse 21, if I may. Um, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What happened? It was a simple message. And God, because he is God, in power, 
flipped the switch. And it pleased him. It pleased him to use whoever presenter of the gospel was there in its simplest form, explaining you and I have a need. Jesus meets the need. I don't need to sit back right now. I, I don't think these things are bad. I want to explain something. It is not evil to think through history and, and think through all these things. I love those things. It's not bad to think about how do we get the Bible. It's not, none of those things are bad. But you got to understand something. The main thing is rooted in power. The main thing is rooted in this. You and I needed a Savior, and Jesus was it. That's the main thing. Everything else comes secondary. Everything else can be helpful, but it isn't the thing that flips the switch. That's not it. It is God in his pleasure looking at you and looking at me, and all of a sudden, something that was once foolishness has power. Now that, that should humble you. Because if you see the cross as smart, you did not come to that because of how intelligent you are. You came to that because God saw pleasure to open your eyes to it. It is not us who comes to God all of a sudden with this understanding of things. It is God who pursues people more so than people have ever pursued God. What you got to realize is this. It may feel like someone convinced you one day to believe this, but what was really happening was is that the God of the universe had been after you since the time before you were born. That you were being pursued. And every bit of process in your life was leading to the point where you would no longer be a slave to sin but you would become someone who submitted to Christ and saw freedom. I want you to think about that for a minute. For those of you who don't know him in here, it says that all those who seek God find him. Why are you seeking? Do you know? I can tell you why. Because God's been after you for years. You may have just turned to look at him you may have just turned to think about him, but he's been after you far longer than you even knew he existed. And let that humble you. Let that give you confidence. If you know him, you are someone in whom God looked at and said, it is my pleasure to save them. That is a beautiful thing that none of us can claim credit for. That there's not, no matter where you were, okay? You might have been at a massive retreat or you might have been alone by your bed. However it is that your heart was finally submitted to the Lord, that was him. And that was the moment you realized something because he brought it to mind. That's love, man, like you've never experienced before. And if you're here and you don't know him, I am confident. I am confident 
that there's going to be a moment for you where you finally look at this and don't see it as foolishness. But you turn and you go, oh my gosh, like I had a need and he met it. That is brilliant. That is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. And you can be united underneath that mantra. You can stand together no matter what political party, no matter what your occupation, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter where you grew up, no matter how much money you have, no matter how beautiful you think you are or aren't, we are all united under that. I am a sinner, enslaved to sin, able to mock God, and God turned my heart toward him, and now I see it as brilliant. That unites us. And there is nothing more main than that. That's the main thing. And so as we close with this last little section here in verses 22 to 25, we see the details of this particular group in Corinth. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to simplicity. A stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Man could never attain what really ailed him. No matter how much thought or intellect or IQ, no matter how much they demanded miracles, man could never attain what it was that he desired, mankind. But Jesus did it. And that's the main thing. So as you go today, think about this. Is the main thing the main thing for you? Or have you begun to see Jesus plus in some area of your life? It's Jesus plus economic success. That's what I'm seeking. It's Jesus plus I really want the perfect relationship. Jesus plus the approval of someone whom I've sought it for from years and is constantly degrading me. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. You will never find anyone in your world who will pursue you like, gee, I'm sorry. But you will never find it. And no amount of money you make will make it better. No amount of person you see as influential will make you feel the way he can. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. What I'm saying is this. Center. Center. Put yourself back into the core of this thing. Jesus is the gravity, and we are everything. It doesn't matter what is happening. Jesus, 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 and him crucified on the cross for my sins. No matter what debate you get into, no matter where you are, do not be known more for anything other than that. Because you're, you're worth more than that. 
If you are known more for your political bent, I would urge you, please, to begin to become more known for your stance on Christ. Because I'll tell you what, the world doesn't need more wisdom in the truest sense that the world says it. The world needs more power. The power to come into a person and change them and give them new life. And you will never find that. You will never find the change you want in the world unless you turn and you look at the cross and you go, oh, I get it. I get it. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that um, despite the fact that we live in a world who, a uh, world where we are being pulled in a million directions and things can be so confusing about what is true and who is right and who is wrong that we can stand on this simple thing that I was a slave to sin, destined for destruction. But you came and you paid my penalty and you came and you changed my heart. And now I get to be with you forever. And one day, one day I look forward to <laughs> there. There's no need for debates because all problems are gone. And that is what you sealed. So I thank you. And I ask that you would continue to move in our community. Lord, I pray that you would flip the switch for someone in here today. And I ask, Lord, that you would do that for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.